Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of She's an Artist. I'm your host, Sarah Brown. Today, I'm here with Melody Brooks from New Perspectives Theater. Miss Brooks has certainly made her stamp on the theater community for the past 25 years. She founded and is now the artistic director of New Perspectives Theater in 1991. Since then, she has directed and acted in over countless plays throughout New York City. And if you would like to catch her work, you can see it at the New School on October 19th through the 21st as she directs The House of Desires by Sister Sarwana Inez de la Cruz. So, thank you so much for listening, and if you like what you hear, please take the time to subscribe on SoundCloud and on iTunes, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to She's an Artist podcast. I'm here with Melody Brooks from New Perspectives Theater. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to have you on here. So I just want to go ahead and get started. So tell us a little bit about what you do for New Perspectives Theater. So I actually founded the company Mm -hmm. back in 1991. Uh, we were incorporated in 92 and I'm the artistic director. Mm-hmm. So that means basically I do everything. <laughs> yes. So not only, you know, supervising the programming and the kind of work that we do, but yeah. cleaning the space, mm-hmm. hiring the staff, whatever needs doing, yeah. I do. It's not, it's not a glamorous job. Oh, of course. I mean, we like to think that theater is always glamorous, <laughs> but yeah. So um, how did you get started in theater in general? So I'm from a small city in central New York called Auburn. Oh, I know that. Yeah, okay. I worked there. Yeah, in the Finger Lakes. Yes. Did yes. you work at the Mary Brown Theater? Mm-hmm. So when I was an adolescent, I helped to build that, the original space. Oh there. my goodness. So there was a professional children's theater company mm-hmm. in Auburn when I was a kid. So I started when I was eight. Oh, wow. Um, and it was a training program and a performance program. So I did that through my teenage years and then in high school performed in all the... Uh, you know, I was a theater geek in high school, mm-hmm. and then um, in college, and I ended up in New York because there was a program through the State University of New York mm-hmm. in association with the Women's Interart Center, which unfortunately okay. is now defunct, but it was a multimedia program, one of the first of its kind, um, in film, theater, and video, So, and it was an accredited program through the State Uni- University of New York, so I came mm-hmm. here, um, and in reality, there was nothing else I ever wanted to do. So I've had other jobs, you know, to pay the rent. And, yeah. Uh, so I worked with what are now many of the off-Broadway companies, even some Broadway, but they were all off-off-Broadway back then. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, and so spent about 11 years doing that and thinking about what I wanted to do before founding New Perspectives. Okay, that's great. And what's uh, very special about New Perspectives? So theater? what's very special about New Perspectives <laughs> is in the name a little bit. Yes. It's a different way of seeing things Mm -hmm. or uh, how do we view the world around us. Because it is theater's job to show us ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that struck me coming here to New York uh, and also being involved with a women's arts company was that all the different people you see on the subway or on the street, you would then go to the theater and see none of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, once in a while, there might be a person of color wandering around in the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, plays, certainly on Broadway, were rarely written by women. I think in, for many, many years, there were only three female playwrights regularly produced on Broadway. Marsha mm-hmm. Norman, Beth Henley, 
you can't even remember the third, isn't that sad? Yeah. Um, and so the notion of creating a theater company where when people came through the doors, you would see what you stepped out of the street yeah. into, uh, yeah. which would be a range of ethnic diversity, age, uh, ability. Mm -hmm. We play with um, non-traditional casting. I mean, that's sort of really the whole point. It starts how it should be. Yes. Yeah. And that is what you see on stage is a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's interesting because the first major Shakespeare play we did back in 1994, uh -huh. it was totally diverse and very mixed up. And good friends that came to see it uh, said that they had spent like the first five minutes trying to figure out what the ethnicity combinations meant. So for instance, the guy who played the Duke yeah. was African-American. Okay. His daughter was a white Chilean actress. Um, and we had it all mixed up like that. So yeah. they said they were first trying to figure out, like, was there a message in the way in which people of color were cast? And then they realized that none of it, they were just people and that they were able to let go of any notion of looking at the cast as anything but the characters that they okay. would play. So that was really the goal. Yeah, do you think it's important for us as humans to just see actors on stage as people instead of trying to figure out, oh, well, they're this, so they I must do. be trying a new angle. I do, and back then, you know, um, there used to be a theater critic, his name was John Simon, and mm -hmm. he wrote, uh, he, he was a, a vicious man, <laughs> and he was very anti-non-traditional uh, casting. Um, and the, a lot of other people would say, well, isn't it enough just to cast the best actor for the job? The answer to that is yes, but if the only pool you're drawing from mm -hmm. are all white, middle-class people, yeah. then you're not necessarily finding the best actor. Mm -hmm. So part of our mission is all else being equal, mm -hmm. that we make a deliberate choice to cast a person of color or a person from a different background, um, when we can, so that we, we really strive to have at least 50% of our casting be non-white people. That's really great. I wish, I think every theater company should follow that example. Yeah, it's interesting because the whole diversity issue has become more popular. Mm -hmm. uh, the city, the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs is yeah. now doing this big old diversity initiative. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel that it's it's not at the root, it's not getting at the root of what the problem is. Okay. Because now there are many, many really fine actors of color. Yeah. Uh, and if they're really good, they're working all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it is about the entry level, the, the access to the work. So whether it's actors or playwrights, we also have our women's work project, mm -hmm. which is a major portion of what we do. Yes. And that is supporting and developing plays by women. Mm -hmm. But it's not just saying, oh, here, develop a play. It is become a professional playwright. And in our lab environment, it's a safe space uh, to talk about a lot of the issues that women deal with in oh, yeah. the professional world. Mm -hmm. um, it's also nurturing their voices because it's, we know from gender studies going back to the 50s that women write differently. So whether it's women generally are more likely to not write in chronological order, mm -hmm. um, they use different kinds of thematic styles. Okay. Um, so for years, this notion of a well-made play, yeah. which came you know, from the Yale School of Drama and Aristotelian principles, mm -hmm. women didn't fit into that. So instead of saying, oh, this is a different style of writing, it was like, oh, women are bad playwrights. Yeah. 
So we want to develop their voices, and I think one of the things that makes our program unique is that we also insist that they be good playwrights. Yes, of course. Um, because I think there's a lot of places where writers of all kinds, men and women, but for women in particular, that the support overwhelms the artistic integrity. Mm -hmm. That if it, the, the message is one that people like, or if, and I've, I saw this from the beginning of my days in New York with companies that were either gender specific or ethnically specific, mm -hmm. that they had a lot of really important things to say, but there wasn't the same care taken in, in the quality of how they said it. So really crafting playwrights that can compete on any level mm -hmm. um, so that there's not this, oh well, it's a woman's play or yeah. it's, oh yeah, it's, a, it's an affirmative action hire, mm -hmm. but know that, that we are upping the level of everything. Oh yeah. And why is it so important for us as an arts community to have gender diversity, to have more women, and to not just have it be one like monotone gender? There's a lot of reasons, mm -hmm. right? So we can look at the sociological studies okay. that if young women grow up and the only stories about women have been written by men, right, the male gaze, as it were, oh, yeah. then this is what girls are taught that it is to be a woman. So mm -hmm. that's one thing. Um, there's also, and, and again, always going back to theater, the job of theater is to show us who we are. Yep. Right? So all the good and, and the underbelly, so that we can say, hey, that doesn't really look so great. Maybe we should do something about that. And so we need all the voices at the table. Um, we also know that women's leadership styles are very different, that they're more inclusive, um, certainly in the arts. I mean, yes. we can talk about some women at the, you know, in the oh, yeah, walls <laughs> yeah. who mimic their male peers. Mm -hmm. um, also that we know plays by women that do reach the commercial level or regional level, yeah. win more awards and make more money. Uh, now, obviously, the cream of the crop is being picked up, but um, but there is a there is a, a place for it. Women are sixty seven percent of theater ticket buyers. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to tell the story of women through women's voices because it's not a monolithic story, mm -hmm. not even close. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we will get themes and topics that we won't get from male playwrights. We will get a treatment of it stylistically, structurally, and um, just in the story itself that is different from how men would write the story. Yeah. Uh, and women are 51% of the population. It, it goes to employment statistics as well. There was a study that Maria Shriver put out mm -hmm. now maybe five years ago, could be more than that, where for the first time women are the majority of the breadwinners in their in families, right? Mm -hmm. And that all of this of being underemployed and not paid the same rate affects whole families. It, it, it affects what you get in Social Security when you retire. It affects whether you actually have supplemental savings for your retirement. It affects the kind of health insurance you can afford to have. It affects yeah. how your children fare. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not just about equity, and, and this is the, the sort of you know conservative and I think even non-conservative people that just don't think deeply about it that it's just you know oh it's identity politics or it's mm -hmm. the whiners the losers they want something they didn't earn mm -hmm. um, when in fact it's simply not true and if we were truly a capitalist society 
letting the free market uh, work, that we would make the investments mm -hmm. in those populations that are actually the backbone and foundation of our society. Oh, of course. But we don't. So yeah. it's, all, it's all a lie that we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Um, so what can we do as a, as a society to support more women, to create more an environment where there is more diversity in general? Like, what can we do as like a regular theater goer or as artists, like how, what is our role in that? So I'm a member of the League of Professional Theater Women mm -hmm. um, and a number of the women that I work with, and this is within the League and it has been surrounding the League, uh, women in theater for a long time. Uh -huh. And certain initiatives and certain principles that we want to put forth. Yeah. Um, in 2020, it will be the centennial of women's right to vote in this country. So we, we created a little grassroots effort called 5050 in 2020, which is to push for 50% hiring practices. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the ways in which we want to encourage companies to do this, uh, this is a new initiative by the League uh, about having another conversation, mm -hmm. which is if you've interviewed three designers yeah. and none of them are women, have another, make, consciously choose to call mm -hmm. a female in and yeah. have an interview, even if you don't hire them. Mm -hmm. So it's about expanding the knowledge. I mean, the number of companies that say, well, we don't know any female set designers. You know, they know lots yeah. of female costumes, but they exist. Yeah. Um, so being conscious of who you're looking at, how you're expanding the pool, and that applies to women and also, uh, you know, different ethnicities and- Yeah, of course. Uh, so just expand the pool and be aware that there that there really does exist a very wide range of highly talented, competent artists. Yes. Right. It's not just oh let's go find a woman or let's go find. Uh, also looking at gender uh, wage disparity, mm -hmm. and this is now in the news, but it's no secret and it has been out there for a very long time that women in the same positions. I mean, we've heard it from the Hollywood actresses, yep. where where there was that leak right from the Sony files, mm -hmm. where even the the women at the top of the field saw that they were getting paid much less. Mm -hmm. So yell about it, say this is not right, um, complain and file. We have a law, the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. So if you know this, file a complaint. Mm -hmm. Be active, right, as women. Yeah. Um, the other thing is to put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. There are many companies that are working to try to have a more balanced uh, season. Mm -hmm. So more plays by women. If that's the case, buy a ticket to that play. Mm -hmm. Say thank you to the theater company that is making the effort also, if enough people do this, then we show that it is, there is an advantage to having more work by women and a disadvantage to not. That if companies that are only doing uh, mostly plays by men start losing ticket sales, this is where the free market comes yep. into play, right? Um, and it's, it doesn't have to be you know, a nasty, negative thing, but it is, it is, we do have the power to put our money where our mouth is, yeah, make a small donation to a company like New Perspectives yes. that is really struggling to support women artists um, and, uh, and tell your friends, that's the last thing, talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because people don't think. So all these folks who go to the theater, we've got you know, regular theater goers in New York City who probably never stop to think about is this play that I'm seeing written by a woman? Is it directed by a woman? Mm -hmm. But to start reading your playbills, really thinking about it and talking to your friends and say, hey, you should think about supporting more work by women. Mm 
So I think those are, and they're easily done. That's yeah. not a hard step. I mean, all those things. Like, it's very easy just to go online and donate or to even just talk about it. That's really right. the easiest one. And I think now people are becoming more aware. At least we hope. I yes. mean, from, you know, in our community, I think just the awareness is getting there. But I think we do still have a little far way to go. We have a long way to go because, yeah. I mean, look who's in the White House. Yes. And I won't even use the, the, the Yeah, we won't talk about it. Yeah. No, no, but, but the fact that that level of misogyny is mm -hmm. fine, perfectly fine, mm -hmm. with a large number of people, um, that shows the problem is really worse than even we think it is. Mm -hmm. Because I think there has been a... A lot of people have gotten a pass, a lot of arts organizations, that it's been put down to, oh, they just don't think about it. They're yeah. not aware. In the same way that we look back at historical figures and say, well, society looked at things differently back yeah. then. So there's been this pass on, we're just not aware, or they're not thinking, or they need mm -hmm. to be educated. But when we see this level of rampant misogyny, yeah. when the attacks on women in the healthcare laws and the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the re-rolling back of fair pay laws mm -hmm. and the, the, the fact that the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, mm -hmm. has never been ratified and it's been out there since the 70s. And yep. many Republicans um, actually supported it in a certain number of states have, it wouldn't take much to do it. Yeah. So, so, so there is a, it is a, it is this bedrock, misogyny is as foundational to this country as racism is. Oh yeah, of course. And so again, we really have to talk about it, and we have mm -hmm. to talk about the why. I mean, I'm very disheartened when I hear young women, many of them, who don't want to call themselves a feminist, mm -hmm. because in their minds they think it's some strident lesbian. It's hater. not. Of course no. not. It simply means someone who champions equity. Yeah, that's the literal definition. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but um, so that's another thing that that. We need to we need to get more women on board to say I am a feminist. I support women. We are fifty one percent. It's not even fifty. They often talk about well, it's half the population. No, more it's more. the majority. Of <laughs> yeah. The right. So yes. Yeah. Um, and all of this stuff is the shell around which new perspectives works. Yes. Uh, to to provide access inclusion, to bring in voices that are addressing these issues. And, and it's, we don't want propaganda plays, right? Oh, of course It not. still has to be good theater. Yeah. But that we are not shying away from having these conversations, mm -hmm. whether it's about race, which is a false construct. There is no such thing as race, but yeah, I course. try to use the word ethnicity, but people don't know what I'm talking about yeah. when I say that. But. So, um, yeah. I have another question. Uh, the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, it's come under fire very recently in uh, the National Humanities Organizations. Um, the NEA has been under fire since Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah, of course. That was the first attempt to get rid of it. Uh, so, in not all other countries, but in some other countries, uh, the arts are actually very, very well funded by the government and hence they're making plays and other things cheaper and some people think that's the model that we should include in our society and do you think that that would affect the type of art that we're able to create especially in this political climate or do you think it wouldn't really affect anything no here's the thing there's 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 many parts to that question right mm -hmm. 
So the National Endowment for the Arts truly did make a huge difference, and both, and also at the state level, there's arts councils. Yeah. And there was a lot of money put in starting in the '60s, mm-hmm. and that opened the door to to diversity in the arts. Oh yeah. So the Public Theater did the first multiracial cast of a Shakespeare production in like 1968. Mm-hmm. Estelle Parsons directed it. Yeah. And there was money not just from the government, but it was all matched by the Ford and Carnegie Foundations, and they were involved in the. Uh, uh, the regional theater movement. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of money and there was a lot of open doors for women. Um, there was federal money beyond the arts, so there was CETA funds, which were for to hire somebody in, the, in an inner city or an economically distressed area that the government paid their salary. Mm-hmm. And that was the time at which I came to New York at the end of that period, okay. right? Um, the NEA never had enough money to to really make a difference, and the problem with the regional theater model is manifold. I mean, manif- there are tons of them. Uh, one is that it's a corporate structure. It doesn't work for small theater companies. Mm-hmm. Two is that the, it was not sustainable absent the government and foundation funding. Mm-hmm. So when all of that went away, you know, Ronald Reagan first cutting government funding and then foundations pulling back uh, mm-hmm. for many different reasons, there was no way to sustain that model. So at some point, I think, I don't remember the exact year it was, but um, there was a study done and the uh, total money given by the NEA to theater companies across the United States was less than what what Vienna gave to its symphony orchestra in one year. That's for the entirety of theater in New York. So the NEA has never been the... um, you know, the, the, the engine of much. It, it has been the engine of ingenuity and, in, and innovation in theater. Yeah. And certainly getting more diverse voices. Um, but the other problem is, so taking the dollars away yeah. is not a huge, um, it's, I, I think it's, it's not a huge impact, and I'm gonna get, if anybody listens, and they're gonna say, oh, that's so wrong. <laughs> But the other problem we have, and in, in, in those countries that used to fund the arts heavily, England has stopped, they've really pulled back, right? Yeah. They're not doing it anymore. So we have this conservative mentality, this austerity, mm-hmm. you know, that we can have billions and billions of billionaires, but we can't, you know, give yeah. pennies to anything else. But we also have in this country, uh, which we're unique in, mm-hmm. in our charity um, status in terms of taxes, right? That mm-hmm. billionaires and millionaires can give big pots of money and get a tax deduction. For yes. So the problem I have with that, and, and, and Obama tried to do away with that in terms of making a first attempt at reforming the tax code. Mm-hmm. And all the big institutions screamed loudly and said, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Because that's really where they get their infrastructure support, mm-hmm. right? Million dollar donations and much bigger all the names of people that are put on buildings and that sort of thing. So the problem I have with that is, that is the oligarchical structure. We might as well have the Medici's Mm -hmm. dictating what is the art that gets created, right? Mm -hmm. And so it would be a much fairer system if we did do away with that tax write-off, taxed those billionaires and millionaires, Mm -hmm. put that money into the NEA, and made a truly fair system of government support for the arts, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. but that is never going to happen in my lifetime. No, so, and not, it's, maybe it's, and, mine, maybe. Right, the problem has gotten much worse mm-hmm. because because all of the public funding has gone away, and even by public, I mean foundation funding. Oh as yeah, well, of course. 
Uh, and more and more institutions are surviving on massive donations. And, you know, the uh, Lincoln Center, it's the David Koch Theater there, yep. the American Ballet, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Koch brothers who gave a lot of money to PBS and they changed their programming as a result of it. Um, yeah. You know, we've had uh, other instances at a smaller level where a theater company has you know, pulled programming or changed what they were going to offer based on pressure from their board because yeah. they have a wealthy person on their board. Mm -hmm. um, now, this is nothing new, but, you know, let, we can either go back to straight up patrons of the arts, yeah. you know, Michelangelo, and you get somebody to, you know, the Pope to give you all the money you need and you could just create, yeah. um, or, or we do a more equitable way of funding it. Um, it makes me laugh, too, because this goes back to the 501c3 oh, yeah. structure that comes out of the regional theater movement and the notion that anything that is donated to a company is considered public funding. Mm -hmm. And that is because even private donations are given a tax deduction so that those dollars that don't go into the tax pool are a public funding. Mm -hmm. And yet at the for-profit level, yep. um, the massive write-offs the huge losses or being declaring bankruptcy and walking away from a company, none of that is considered public money. And yet yeah. it's the same thing. All of that money did not go into the tax base either, crazy. right? Yeah. So, and I think the other thing is that the American people are woefully ignorant mm -hmm. and, and, oh, yeah. and um, willingly so. Mm -hmm. Right? Because yeah. all the people that think that they are a conservative or they want fiscal responsibility, when you when you put it that way, they're now this move with nonprofits as well that foundations want not only for you to not have a deficit, but they want people to have um, reserve funds and contingency mm -hmm. funds. And they and again weigh and value you on those numbers, which are so much tinier. But if you have a, a deficit or a debt of some small amount, then you can't get foundation funding. But if you're a for-profit corporation, you can have billions in debt and still be funded by, I mean, Trump's the perfect example. How many times was he bailed out of bankruptcy? Mm -hmm. And so, um, really, I think that the American people are just, they need to educate themselves. Oh, yeah, of course. I think that's very important, especially, like, in schools, you know, I... I'm very, was very privileged in that my uh, high school, our arts program was more well-funded than maybe some other towns in my same state. Like we actually had an acting teacher as opposed to some other schools where their English teacher was also their acting teacher. And you know, that was due to funds. And you know, instead of that, there's a lot of inequality in that. Right, I and a lot like. of places that have a strong theater traditions in the mm -hmm. South. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. But it's private funding. It's, it's mm -hmm. the kids and their families that pay for it. Um, in my hometown, we did have a, a, a robust arts program, but sports was the biggie, the, the massive amount of money. But mm -hmm. the only reason we had, and I'm convinced that this really strong emphasis on theater is because of the children's theater program that existed. And it was founded by our local, the state level senator's wife. Yeah. Right. So she had been a theater person in New York when she got married and moved up there. She created the children's theater program and also a dinner theater. Yeah. Uh, and was responsible for the creation of what is now uh, a major Summerstock theater in central New York. Yeah. Uh, the Merryground Theater. Oh yeah. Which, as I said, I, I helped yeah. to build that with my with my two hands when oh, I was a yeah. kid. 
Um, and so uh, they've recently gotten a lot of foundation funding to do mm -hmm. a, a musical theater festival. That's the other problem too, is that so much money goes into musicals. And I mm -hmm. love musicals, I grew up performing in them, oh, I yeah, enjoy them. Um, but you can barely get a straight play on Broadway now, mm -mm. right? Because yeah. everybody just wants to do a musical. And, and it's pure escapism, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to think about anything, we don't have to challenge our notions about yeah. anything when we go and, and do a feel-good musical. Well, I think it, that's so disheartening because I find all theater escapism. I find that when I go to the theater, I'm going there for entertainment of some sort. And even when I see a play, to me, that's an escapism because it's taking me out of my normal life by watching it. Right. So we have a motto here at New Perspectives. Okay. And that is you are not allowed to sit anonymously in the dark as an oh, audience member. Oh, okay. We never pretend the audience isn't here. And mm -hmm. it's, and I would, I would not like to use the term escapism, but yes, you want to be entertained because giving, you know, a spoonful of sugar, right? Yeah, of course. Um, but that it does take you out of yourself, but it should take you out of yourself in the sense of it's not just me. I, it is a communal activity, which is why live theater mm -hmm. is very different from the film experience, right? Yeah. Because in film, you can just sit in your own little seat and munch your popcorn, and you don't have to engage in any way. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and that's why I object to the modern, um, all the odd lights go out in the audience, you can't take your candy out, you can't sneeze yeah. or cough, because uh, you might disturb the actors. When for a you know, 3,000 years, the history of theater is direct engagement with the audience. Mm -hmm. And the audience weighing, you know, the Greek theory and why they had these massive amphitheaters mm -hmm. was that you gathered the community together. And watching the play on stage, which was raising some fundamental questions about life and existence and your community. Yeah. And the collective energy of audience and actors together would lift these questions out into the universe uh -huh. and the gods would, would answer them not like hey here's your answer yeah but as you left and went back to your daily lives the answers would filter through or things would come to you the impact would would remain oh. and there still is theater i mean that's the kind of theater we strive to do and i've seen it mm -hmm. but it's usually you know in the downtown theater level or you know or outside not not in new york yeah um but then it's really just you know you it should have an impact on the audience member it's one of the things we do in our writing programs is that we always ask the playwright after the play has reached a certain point and whether they're struggling with the ending or whatever, is what do you want the audience to do when they leave the theater? Mm -hmm. And and it should be an active choice. I want them to go home and hug their kids and be yeah. grateful for what they have. I want them to go and register to vote. I want them to. Now that doesn't mean that the play is literally telling people to do these things, but yeah. that what they experience in the story then must they must reflect on yeah. their own lives and how they get go about in the world. Yes. It is a serious ideal idealistic <laughs> goal and we have accomplished it many times. We yeah. don't always, but it is, you know, if that's the goal then Alright. Well one last question. Um what advice do you have for young women artists who are just coming up in this crazy art world that we have now? What advice do you have for them? So I think there's a couple things. Unfortunately, it's really hard to get the, into the networks you need to be in unless you go to graduate school. Okay. Uh, it does not have to be the most expensive graduate school on the planet if uh -huh. you can get a, um, 
scholarship, all the better. But that is really what used to be, you know, you, you needed the BFA and then you could go out into the professional world. Okay. That rarely works anymore. Yeah. Um, you need to do your research. You need to find the companies that are doing the work you want to do. Mm -hmm. You need to be discriminating and not just say, oh yes, I'll take whatever anybody offers me. I think that happens a lot with actors. Mm -hmm. um, and they end up not doing good work and, and find themselves in situations where they're exploited. Yes. Find mentors. You know, mm -hmm. men for years have had the, you know, the old boy network. They could find men in positions that they could be mentored by them. There are many women out there in artistic director positions or managing director, any of those areas, designers. Find somebody who's willing to be a mentor to you um, because that is the, I think, the most important path to having a career. Right. That's that some great that advice. That you can sustain. Yes. Yes, of course. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on here. I really well, you're appreciate welcome. Thank it. you for asking me. I'm yeah, delighted. no problem. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and I'll see you in the next one. Hello everyone. And thank you so much again for listening to this week's episode of She's an Artist. I'm your host, Sarah Brown. If you like what you hear, please take the time to subscribe on iTunes and on SoundCloud. That is She's an Artist. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. That is S. Brown Says. And if you would like to be a guest on my show, you can email me at brown.sarah1012 at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. Keep telling your stories. Keep creating. And have a great day.